we spent the first part of this year of 2020, first week of January going through, we just read through the true story from creation all the way to restoration and seeing that God has been on this mission. He's on a mission all throughout the story of the Bible, the story of the world, connecting the dots between creation and restoration, restoring things back to the way that they were intended to be and even better, which is really cool. And that you and I, we are a part of that mission because we're beneficiaries of it. We're recipients of his mission. That he, when he is working to restore all things, he has called you. He, he, he has pursued you. He has loved you. He comes after you to restore you into relationship with him. But it doesn't stop there. Like, he also invites you now into your original intended design, which is to partner with him. That's what human beings were created for, was to be partners with God, with the creator and caring for the rest of creation. And so he invites us into that mission too. Not only are you someone who benefits from God being on mission, but now you're called to join him in his mission. So we spent the whole first month of January going through that and seeing how the true story forms us into being God's people as a community living in God's ways for the sake of the world around us, right? And so that's what we want to be about as Missio Dei, which means the mission of God, is we want to be a God's people living in God's way in community together for the sake of Phoenix and all of Arizona and all the world. And so we are returning this week, and we'll, we'll do this all the way through the end of May now, going through a book of the Bible. So we zoomed out, we got the big picture of the whole story, and now we're zooming back in again into a part of that story. And we're starting in 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter that was written to believers in the city of Thessalonica. It's a city in Greece, in the region of Macedonia. It was like the capital city there. And this is a letter written to encourage and to continue to teach those people. And so we'll be looking through the first and the second letters to the Thessalonians. Like I said, I'll take us up through May, and then we'll do something else in the summertime there. So if you don't have a Bible, we have some at some of these tables. I think we have some at that Connect table as well. You can get it on your phone as well. But go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's in that area with all the, the books that end with Ian's. All right, so you got like Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. So 1 and 2 Thessalonians are like the, on the tail end of the Ian's. So turn there. And we're going to be looking at all of chapter 1 this morning. So I want to give us some background, some context to that, Okay. So as I said, this was a letter, it was written to them. What had happened, and you can find this backstory in Acts chapter 17. What had happened is there was this guy named Saul who was on a mission himself. And he was on a mission to shut down this movement of Christ followers. This movement that was being called the way of people following Jesus who was claiming to be the Messiah. The anointed king who had come to rescue God's people. And they're saying, this, is, this can't be this guy. This guy Saul was a Jew, a devout Jew, and he said, this is a man claiming to be God's own son. I'm shutting this down. And so he was on a mission persecuting those who were following after Jesus until suddenly he has this dramatic encounter with Christ himself. And it completely changed the course of his life and set him on a whole new mission. Instead, now he was joining and partnering with God, with Christ in his mission of spreading the good news that the kingdom of God had come and it had come in Jesus alone. And so from persecuting them to going around trying to make more of them, this was what had happened in the life of Saul, who now had been given a new name, Paul. 
And so Paul and this guy Silas, they start going around visiting these different regions, different cities. They're on a mission telling people the good news of Jesus. And one of those first cities they found themselves in was Thessalonica. Again, capital city of Macedonia in Greece. It's a city that actually got to govern itself, even though they were under the Roman Empire. And the reason for that is because this was like a port city. They were doing really, really well financially, and they were more than happy to give to Caesar. They completely adopted all of Rome's customs, all of Rome's ways. I mean, this was like the poster child for the Roman Empire was Thessalonica. And so the Caesar actually allowed them, you can govern yourselves, like you're free. There's no like Roman officials and guards going around and trying to dictate what their life was like. So they, they had a good life so long as they submitted to Caesar and they happily did so. Paul and Silas show up and they go into the synagogues. That's the Jewish temples where the Jewish believers were worshiping and they started sharing about the good news of Jesus. And in Acts 17, it tells us a few of them believed but a whole lot more of the Greeks believed. It's interesting, right? A few of those Jewish people believed, a whole lot more of the Greeks believed, and then I love this line, and it says, and many of the prominent women believed. In a culture that completely devalued women in their place, and if you're trying to build a movement and make something up, you're not gonna mention how important of a role women play when they're devalued, but this is the truth. A number of prominent women believed. They're prominent in the kingdom of God, even if they're not in that culture, right? And so this message is for all people now, Jews, Greeks, men, women. And so you start getting this band of people going like, whoa, this, this changes everything. And what happens is some of the Jewish people start to get jealous. They're, they're taking them away from their ways, their customs, their synagogue. And so they're not having this. So they go out and they start stirring up trouble. They go to the Roman officials, and they say, hey, these people, Paul and Silas, who have gone around turning the world upside down, they say, are now here. And what they've done is they've said that Caesar is no longer king. This guy, Jesus, is king. This is a problem. And then they start stirring up the people, and a riot breaks out in the city. And for their safety, Paul and Silas have to flee. So they go, and they're off somewhere else. And at this time, Paul and Silas, they find themselves in Corinth, there's a letter to the Corinthians, which you, you know in Scripture, like we can go through that at another time. But he's in this city at this time, and he's wondering, what happened to those people who started to believe the good news? Because they're surrounded now by a volatile community. It was once their own community. They were part of it. They loved it. And all of a sudden now, they find themselves in a whole new situation where all their friends and their family around them are persecuting them. And they're trying to shut down what was going on there, just the same way Paul used to do to people. And he's wondering how in the world could they continue to thrive as a community with all that pressure around them. It's kind of like this balloon here is this community of people in Thessalonica that have now believed the good news, but there's some heat now around them, right? I know what you're thinking. Don't set off the fire alarm the first week we're here, right? I'll try to be careful. Yeah, when you add a little heat to that, that's exactly what happens, right? Why? But what if you had like a different 
source inside of this. I'm going to be really careful with this, actually. This is the last one. Why is this one not popping? Do any science teachers? Yeah, I'm not going to do it too long. Well, that's enough. That's good right there. I don't want to... Yeah. No one to quit, right? Okay. There it is right there. So, let me pick this balloon up before we get in trouble. There's, there's water inside that balloon. And I don't want to go too much into the science, but something about the water inside of the balloon actually allows the heat to disperse around the, the rubber balloon itself enough to where it doesn't cause too much heat in one spot and cause it to pop, where the water didn't have the same, den or the air didn't have the same density to do that, right? This is not a science lesson. There's something different on the inside of that balloon. There's something that balloon has been filled with that is different than what the other balloon was filled with. They look the same on the outside, right? But something inside is much different. And so Paul writes this letter because he's gotten a report there's something different going on here with these people. What they do is they send this guy named Timothy, who's a Greek citizen, and he can go to Thessalonica safely. And he's like, hey, just go check on them. I, I love those people. I want to make sure they're okay. Timothy goes, and he sends back a report. Hey, there's a community of faith here, and they're thriving, and they love Jesus, and they love one another. And in fact, all the cities around them are hearing about this. They're hearing about how they turned away from false gods and they're turning to the living true God. It's incredible. And so this letter is born out of a gratitude, a thankfulness, an excitement, and an encouragement to continue in that. And this is why I want us to go through this book right now, through this letter. In one way, because this is written to a completely different people in a completely different time in a completely different culture, and we have a lot to learn from people who are different from us. But in another way, I want to share, I have the same sense inside of me for us, Missio, that like, hey, I'm encouraged by a lot of what God has been doing in this small group of people. I am encouraged by the faithfulness, by the love for one another, by the way that we're moving out into the city and loving other people, even when it's hard and even when it doesn't seem like there's like a return on investment, right? I'm encouraged by that faithfulness. And at the same time, I also want to say, let's continue, just like Paul writes. Let's go even deeper. Let's grow more in our formation in Jesus. Let's grow tighter as a community together. And let's move out in God's mission even more so in the power of the Spirit. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's only 10 verses, so we're going to read the whole first chapter this morning. And this is what's written. Paul, Silvanus, which is another translation for Silas, and Timothy, who went and got the report. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. 
You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive your message to us this morning. The message that you sent to the Thessalonians so long ago, as well as the message you are using with those words to give to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would allow us to understand that we would grow more in love with who you are and with your kingdom, and that you would fill us with the same faith, love, and hope that you filled that group of people with. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple years ago, our kids' school introduced this app called Class Dojo. Any, we have a lot of teachers in here. Are you guys familiar with that? So Class Dojo is this app that I get notifications when my kid is acting crazy, but also when my kid is doing well, right? And they get these notifications to let me know what's happening in the classroom, and they can get like awarded points for certain things, and they can get points taken away, and the teacher can leave messages to us, and we can message the teacher, and sometimes they'll post photos of what's going on and videos, and it's pretty cool, it's pretty fun to see. It used to be, you know, you'd get a phone call from the teacher around dinner time, and you're like, uh-oh, what happened, right? But now it's just like it's all right there in the app, so I, we get this app set up, and the first class, the first one of our kids to do it, it was Liam in his kindergarten class. And all of a sudden, I start getting these notifications on my phone. So just so you guys know, spoiler alert, this morning, Bethany's like, hey, do you think you could ever do like illustrations of Liam where it's a good thing? That's not quite how she said it, but that was what I heard, and I was like, oh, yeah. So some of you guys know, with illustrations we shared before, like some of the tensions we have with Liam, but he's also a sweetheart of a kid. And we have seen his heart continue to change and grow. And so uh, we're getting these notifications on the phone, like, what's going on? And it's all like, thumbs up, right? It's all these pluses. And we're getting this report back that Liam is just a joy to have in the classroom. He's winning this character award for kindness that month. He's always looking out for other kids and, like, how are they doing and how are they feeling in this moment. Every now and then, he'll get, like, a, a negative point for being distracting or not listening in class, right? We know that happens. But for the most part, we're seeing all this good report, and I'm going, whoa, why don't you do this at home? No, but actually, I'm just, like, I'm filled with joy, and I'm like, this is incredible. That's awesome. I some of what we've been teaching in the home is actually sticking, and it's, it's like filtering through, and he's living it out in certain ways and in certain times, but it's happening. That's got to be kind of like, only to a much greater degree, what this letter is coming out of. This report has come back, and he's thinking, like Paul's thinking, Silas is thinking, man, 
could there even be a church left there, right? We know how hard, we had to leave because it was dangerous. And they barely, we barely got to spend time with them and share with them about Jesus. How could there be a faithful body of believers, a community following Christ there left? Like, almost near impossible, right? Which is why he's worried, which is why he sends Timothy out, which is why he's probably expecting, much like I was expecting when those notifications started coming in, a bad report. And instead, he's filled with joy at this good report. And listen to this. When he says this, this is in verse 8. The word of the Lord rang out from you, not only Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia, again, is that region where they're kind of like the, the hub of Thessalonica is like the, the main city there, the capital. But in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. Like, I don't got to go to bat for you. You guys are thriving. You're doing awesome. So this is a good report they're getting. What has changed? What is different all of a sudden? Because here's the thing is, we live in a culture where maybe this doesn't quite compute for us, right? Like, we live in a culture where it's celebrated by at least a circle of people when you come to faith, right? Maybe not by everybody, but what you could do is you could choose to just hang out with the people who will celebrate it, you know? You go and and you get baptized, and there's people clapping for you. And you can stay in that community, and you can even, like, share some of your gifts and talents with that community, and when you go to work and you see the people who maybe aren't going to applaud those types of things, you can just keep it on the DL, right? Or low-key, as our kids in the Cultivate cohort would say. Just keep it on the low-key, right? So you can choose to engage in the parts that are fun and great, and you can choose to step out of the parts that get hard and difficult. The Thessalonians didn't have that option. What was so life-changing for them that all of a sudden they can live in a way that is completely counter to the culture around them and completely counter to the way that they had been living their whole lives themselves? And even when the heat comes, that they can still stand. What's different? Is it just like, hey, good news, one day when you die, you could go up to heaven and float in the clouds? Is it just, hey, you know what? I know life's hard, but Jesus loves you. Right? Is it these, these things that maybe in our culture of Christianity and in this type of community, we've gotten used to and comfortable with saying and hearing that when push comes to shove and life really gets hard, they don't really hold a whole lot of weight? Or is there something greater going on here? And for Paul himself, who was the one going around persecuting, now is becoming the one being persecuted, being kicked and run out of towns, being thrown into prison. What is keeping him going? For the Thessalonians, what is keeping them going? Listen, this is what we're told that they do. It says, there it is, verse 3. Your works produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things we found right there. What were they? Faith, hope, and love, right? Your work produced by faith. So your work is great, but it's produced from something else. 
faith. Your labor, you're doing good work, but it's motivated by love. And your endurance, which is inspired by hope. Have we heard those three words before from any of Paul's writings, those of you who know your Bible? Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very end of the chapter. This is, remember, this is the same guy. He's in Corinth at the time he's writing this letter. I got to wonder if he's sitting there like in Corinth going like, man, you guys really, because he spends a whole chapter going like, you guys need to know about love, right? Maybe he's sitting there going like, you guys need to be more like the Thessalonians. Because <laughs> he says at the very end, now three things remain. In, in all of this life and everything going on around you, here's three things that remain. They're the, they're the only things that really matter. These things are important. If you focus on these three things in your life, I promise you, it's going to go much better for you. And he says it's faith, hope, and love. And do you, know, do you remember what he says at the end of that? And the greatest of these is love, right? And the greatest is love. Faith, hope, and love. What we are seeing in this body is that they had been filled with something much different. Not just pat answers to life's problems, and not just the routine and tradition and rhythm of showing up to a worship service once a week, but their whole lives and their whole bodies, their whole selves were filled with something unique now. It was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, nothing short of that, but what he was producing in them, faith, hope, and love. Now, the order has changed, right? Like in Corinthians, in that letter to the Corinthians, he says, faith, hope, love, and the grace is love. In this letter to Thessalonica, he says, faith, love, hope. Doesn't mean that the greatest is no longer love, but there's a different emphasis here for Thessalonica than there is in Corinth. In Corinth, what Paul's seeing is, hey, you guys need to learn how to love each other. Do you know because Christ first loved you so much that he gave his entire self up for you, now you can maybe share a little bit of your possessions with this neighbor who's in need? Like, that's what you need, right? You need to hear that. But for the Thessalonians, what he's rejoicing is, and they know how to love each other. They have this faith that has completely stirred them up. But what we're going to see as we continue through both First and Second Thessalonians is the thing that they need to hear over and over again is about hope. Every single chapter ends with a reminder that Jesus is coming back. There is hope coming. I know it's tough right now. I know that your culture around you hates what your life is about. I know it doesn't seem to make any sense, but listen, there's a hope coming. The, the king that we told you about, he hasn't left us. He is returning, and he will make all things right again. This comes up over and over and over again throughout these letters. And it even brings up some like, weird eschatological, if you don't know that word, end times, questions that we're going to dive into. But the, the theme and his heart in writing this is, hold on for hope. That song we sang this morning, Christ the sure and steady anchor, like no matter what is going on around you, there is a hope that anchors us in Christ because we know he is faithful and he will return. And that's why he says, you have an endurance inspired by hope. Like, you can keep going. Any of you ever done sports before? 
in your youth or now, I don't know, maybe you're in an adult pickleball club or something. So those of you who have done sports or, or anything hard, but this is what I know, so I'm going to use the example, you know endurance is required, right? I wrestled when I was in high school, and it was tough. And it, they have six-minute matches because you will literally die if you go another minute after that. You're using every part of your body and muscles you never thought you had, and you, you're just, all of it is going full force for that full six minutes, right? And so what we would do is we would have two practices a day. I'd have one at 6 a.m. before I had to shower and go to class. Then I would go run the track during my lunch hour because I couldn't eat anyway. I had to lose weight. And then we'd have our practice after school got out for two hours. We're training for that six-minute period that we can go all out. So two hours, we're going all out, and it was hard. At the end of the day, you could go up along the wall and, like, cup some sweat off of it. Yeah. We had a rolled-up mat. I remember after one practice, I, like, I laid down on it, which if my coach saw me laying down, I'd be in big trouble. So my elbow made an indention in the mat, and when I lifted it up, it just stayed there with a pool of sweat. It's terrible. I lost 12 pounds in one practice, all water. It was hard. But what we were doing was we were trying to build our endurance. And the only reason, the only reason people stuck it out was they had some kind of hope and dreams of doing something great with it, right? Because lots of people quit. Tons of people quit on us. But there is this thing that was held out before us that if we just keep trying, if we keep pushing, if we keep working harder, we could accomplish this. The beautiful message about this kind of hope is it's already been accomplished. It's already been done. You already will receive a crown of glory. You already will receive eternal life and love with our Savior forever. That's good news. Hold on to that hope because you know like, hey, this, these trials I'm facing, this is for a season. This is for a short time. And you go, I don't, my whole life has been trials. And I go, that's still a short time. You're going to live to what? Maybe 80, 90 if you're super healthy? And the grand scheme of eternity? Hold on. There's hope. And so this letter keeps reminding these people over and over again, it's tough, but there's hope. And trust me, none of us in here are enduring the things that the church in Thessalonica was enduring. None of us in here are enduring the things that Paul was enduring when he wrote this letter. There's hope. There's hope. I, I think sometimes when we have conversations with one another, it sounds like there's no hope because we're complaining a lot. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying nothing ever bad happens to you and just get over it, right? But how often are our conversations like, how's your week? Man, work's tough. My boss, I can't stand him. I'm like, oh, I can't. You know, like how often is that the first response? What are we looking to as our hope? This is what they needed to hear. But what's beautiful is they could hear this because they already were living in faith and love too. And so I want to camp on those two things for a little bit. He says that you had a work produced by faith and a labor motivated by love. And when I first read that, I was like, that sounds super similar. 
Like he's talking about your work and your labor, right? Like that's, isn't that the same thing? But as, as I was reading that and more of Paul's letters and thinking about it, like actually the idea of work is a accomplished and produced work and the idea of labor is you're entering into a work, right? And so it's kind of like if you think about in school, you turn in your work like it's already done, right? But when you're trying to do the book report, you're laboring. <laughs> when you uh, show something, you go like, this is, the, this is the work of my hands. And it was a labor of love. That's where, this is where that phrase comes from. Like we did this because we love it. Now here's the finished work, right? So as an example, as I said, Anthony and I built this stage, and it's a finished work right now. It was a labor of love. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work Saturday. Hi, Adrian came and helped us set it up the whole day. We were here like the whole day. But it was a labor of love because we love this church, and we love what these symbols represent. And now it's a finished work. And what's cool about that is I could stand on this stage as the builder of it, and if something does start to go wrong, I maintain it. The stage doesn't maintain itself. Right? It now, though, being a finished work, enters into the labor of supporting my weight. It's working for me now. But if something starts to go wrong, I can begin to maintain it. I can go, oh, this is loose here. I need to fix that. It's the same with us in our relationship with Christ. You are the workmanship of his hands. You are God's workmanship, Ephesians says. Again, same author. Created in Christ Jesus. And then what does he say? For what? To do good works. You are a finished work by God, now called to enter into the labor with him. But when things get tough, when it feels like the wheels are starting to fall off, when this is a little squeaky over here, he's the one, the builder, who comes in and maintains. You don't enter into this work on your own. You don't enter into the labor trying to do it in your own strength. The one who has made you and has formed you and fashioned you, maintains you as well. It's his spirit, again, dwelling within you that allows you to continue when things are tough. And so what this letter is saying is there's a beautiful work that's been done here. The message of the good news of Jesus is ringing out to the cities all around you. That's a good work. Christ has built this church and you are now laboring alongside of him in the power of the Spirit to continue to tell that story. And both of those things are accomplished through him, not through you. So have hope, because when you start to wonder, like, when is this going to be finished? Like, you have, you have faith that has produced a good work, you have love that allows you to enter into that work and partner with God, but you also have hope for when you don't see it working. It doesn't seem like it's working. What's happening? Have hope. Christ is with you. Christ is still king. Caesar is not. What do we do with that today for us? In Phoenix, 2020, I almost said 19. It's still weird for me. In 2020, right here and now, with this small group of people. And I wanted to say, like, have hope. Have faith. Have, have more love, right? And do you guys know where to, like, reach in and find that? Can I hand it to you? This isn't something that we muster up on our own. We have to be filled, once again, 
with something different. With something different than what you and I have to offer. With something different than what the world has to offer. What do our lives look like in front of one another, in front of our kids, if you have kids, your spouses, if you have a spouse, in front of your coworkers, your neighbors? Is it a story that is being told of faith, hope, and love? And if not, here's what I want to say, if not, then maybe we need to look at the true story again, if your story is not reflecting that. Jesus came and completely disrupted Paul's life. Jesus came and completely disrupted the lives of the Thessalonians. When you have come to Jesus, does your life look the same as it did before? Or has it been turned upside down? Like, that's a serious, sincere, and difficult question. If your life is not disrupted by following Jesus, you have to ask yourself, have I met Jesus? And maybe you have, and maybe you sat over that fire for a little bit, though, and you went, nah, this is uncomfortable, and moved away. But the life of Jesus and entering into his kingdom is completely different from this kingdom of darkness that's surrounding us. And so, is your life being disrupted by that? Or can you easily and comfortably move back and forth between two different kingdoms? You ever been to the four corners? You're like, now I'm in Utah. And now, I'm, you know, like, is that what our life looks like? Like, now I'm in the world, and now I'm, it's Sunday, so I'm with Jesus. Or is our life being disrupted by the good news of the gospel? And people around us are going, this is, what is different about this? Because that's what happened with them. People from all over in Macedonia and Achaia and all the cities surrounding, there's something different about these people. They're weird. I don't know what to think, but there's definitely something different. And Paul goes, I don't have to say anything because what they're seeing is a life lived of faith, hope, and love. And if you aren't experiencing those three things, again, what are you being filled with? Do you believe this to be the true story of the whole world? That it's a place that God has created and that he loves and cares for. And that he has called you and I to partner with him in loving and caring for it. And even when we turn and run away from that calling, he lovingly pursues us. That's his mission. And that one day Christ is returning as king and he will restore all things. And so many people hear that talk about Christ returning and the end times and eschatology. And this is what Paul starts to address later in this book. Like they're, they're afraid of it because they don't understand it. And he goes, no, 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 this is good news. If you are in Jesus, this is good news. You want the king to return. You welcome him back and he makes everything right again because he's a good king. And so, again, I, I can't force you to have more faith and love and hope. I can't force myself to. And so what do we do? Let's pray. Let's pray and invite the Spirit to fill us, to give us a different kind of substance on the inside so that on the outside we can withstand the heat and the pressure and the struggles of a broken world and hold on to hope that one day it won't be like that anymore. Jesus is coming back. Father, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. God, we ask that you would completely transform 
our desires, what our hearts are seeking after. God, that we would turn from pursuing things of this world toward following after you. God, we, we ask like the man who was asking Jesus to heal his daughter uh, to increase our faith. God, we say we believe, but help us with our unbelief. God, we, we have faith, but help us where we lack faith. God, we say with, with love, help us to look to how you have first loved us. We can only love because you have first loved us, and you have done so in Jesus. And God, we pray that we would be able to endure as your people until Christ returns because we are looking to the right crown. We are looking to the right finish line. We are looking to Jesus and his coming kingdom. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we go to the table, I want us to remember that Jesus fulfilled all of these things perfectly on our behalf. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? That Jesus was the completely faithful one all throughout the story who overcame every obstacle that we faced. And that Hebrews tells us it was the joy set before him that he, what, endured the cross. And so he had this hope that brought him endurance. And that hope was restoration of God and his people. So go to the table and remember exactly what he endured that he gave up his very life and he did it out of faith, love, and hope. He did it in the power of the Spirit and that we are now invited to partner with him in doing it as well.